get one, or maybe for those of you who are electronically and technology inclined, you can get it this way on the screen here with the QR code. Um, I think you've got to get onto Cali Harbin's Wi-Fi. I think the instructions are, are up there, but yeah, connect your phone to the Cali Harbin Wi-Fi and then scan the QR code and you can get in there. I believe we typically have that fillable as well, so you can fill in the blanks and do all of that all that stuff if you would like. So let's, uh, we get that? Okay, cool. Let's, let's pray as we begin, y'all. Father, we, we come before you and, and, and we're grateful to be here. We're thankful for you and we're thankful for your son. We're thankful for your word and we're thankful for the eternal life that we have in you. And God, I know there's a, a, a lot of things going on in, in people's lives in this room, God, and we have one constant, and we have one steady, and that, and that is you. And I pray, God, that as we open up your word this morning, that it would have free course and be glorified. You would, you would do in this place what only you're capable of, and that I pray that we would approach this, uh, this time of preaching this morning with pure hearts, with soft hearts, with humble hearts that's willing to, uh, that, that are willing to change the places in their lives that, that you're pointing out to each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so before the, the holiday season was upon us, well, we obviously we've been out of the book of 1 Thessalonians for a while. For those that don't know, we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And man, I, I, love, the, I love the Christmas season. It's a ton of fun. And I love New Year's because it's just... A time to kind of reevaluate and and just kind of do look inside and, and see if there's anything that sh- we should change, if there's any goals that we could set in the future. And so there's so many things that I like about both of those seasons. While at the same time, it's it's kind of nice to be back to normal though, too, isn't it? That was that t- the time of year is fun, but man, it's it's crazy. And so here we are. Things are kind of back to normal, and we're, we're settling back in, and, and though I enjoyed those other seasons of the year, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're, that we're settling back. So, so before the holiday season started, it, it, we, had, uh, we had just finished chapter 3 of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and, and, and if, you've read, if you read closely what's been going on in the, in the first three chapters of this book is is that what's actually been happening, it, it, you may have noticed, is, is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are actually recapping everything that's happened in the past. As I've been teaching through this book, that it may or may not have, have stood out to you, but that's actually what's been happening through these first chapters. They recapped when they brought the, when they brought the gospel to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, and then, and then they recapped how they discipled them and how they behaved themselves amongst the Thessalonians in chapter 2. And then they recapped when they had sent Timothy to check up on them to see how everything was going, and they brought back that good report. They did that then and, and recapped that in chapter 3. But, but as we begin chapter 4 this morning, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're, they're no longer recapping previous events. They're actually delivering exhortation or they're they're delivering a challenge they're they're delivering an admonition and and there are some some things that paul silas and timothy that they wanted to make sure 
that the Thessalonians got. They wanted to make sure that they understood. There, there are some things that they wanted to make sure that, that this group of people, this church at Thessalonica, that they built into their lives and that were being carried out on a daily basis. And, and what they begin with in chapter 4 is, is really a continuation of the thought in chapter 3. Look back at the end of chapter 3 with me, if you would, as I try to set the stage for where we're headed this morning. At the end of chapter 3, God, God prompts Paul to pray. And in verse 13 of chapter 3, he he's prays that the Lord would make the Thessalonians blameless in holiness before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And, and as soon as he closes this prayer and begins chapter 4, he begins to emphasize some things to them that they need to be sure to build into their lives so that God can use those things to bring them to a standing before God where they'd be blameless in holiness. And so as we begin chapter 4, that's the main theme of what he's saying to us, and that, that's actually what he's going to be saying to us through the first eight verses of the chapter in order for us to be blameless in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with his saints, he's saying to us, we have to begin to have all of these things that we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks in our lives. We have to have them in our lives right now. Now, now a few weeks ago when we were, we were finishing chapter 3, we saw that one of the requirements to accomplish this goal, according to chapter 3 and verse 12, is to increase and abound in love. We already we looked at that about three weeks ago, but there are other things that are connected to this as well that, again, we're going to see in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4. And so as chapter 4 begins, what's happening is, is that, that, that he's continuing, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're continuing to ex exhort the Thessalonians, and they're telling them what else is necessary to do now to be blameless and holy before God at the coming of the Lord then. And he's telling the Thessalonians, in order to be found like that in the future, right now you've got to build these things into your life, and we're going to be looking at what those things are specifically. But before we do, I think it's important that we simply look at what Paul's approach was to the Thessalonians as chapter 4 begins because there's a lot we can learn about discipleship just by looking at what their approach was. You, you see, Paul didn't just teach the Thessalonians doctrine. Now, now certainly that is a, that's a big part of what they did after they won these folks to Christ. It, you have to have the right foundation and teaching and doctrine, but he also taught them how to live. And you've heard this said before, but, but discipleship isn't just transferring information from one person's mind to another or transferring knowledge from one mind to another. It's the transfer of a life. <laughs> That's what true biblical discipleship actually is. It doesn't just affect what you believe. It affects how you behave. And what Paul's actually doing at the beginning of chapter 4 is, is, is he's calling them to live out what they've already been taught. 
He, he, he's number one on your study sheet. He's re-emphasizing their instruction. He's re-emphasizing their instruction. We, we see that in the way that Paul uses the past tense in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so in verse 1, he says, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. That's past tense. Verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Past tense. Verse 6, We also, end of verse 6, We also have forewarned you and testified, past tense, end of verse 11, as we commanded you, past tense. Okay, so in this whole section of scripture, they're no longer recapping those events, but they're reemphasizing everything they'd already taught them when they discipled them. You see, when it came to discipleship, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they knew what they were doing. And, and, and the problem that most people have with discipleship is, is they don't know what they're doing and they don't know where they're going. They know inside they should be involved in discipleship. They know, they know that much. I mean, Jesus very specifically told those of us that name his name that we're to go into the world and make disciples. Simple as that. It's not a matter of should we do this. It's a matter of not knowing what we're doing and not knowing where we're going. And if we're trying to be obedient to God and we don't know where we're going, then what's going to happen is, is we're never really going to know if we've gotten there. And if we don't know that we've gotten there, then the person we're discipling isn't going to know that they got there. And if they don't know they got there, then the process of discipleship won't continue because they don't know what we did, and we don't know what we did either. And the process of multiplication is stopped. And if we don't see the transfer of a life, and that, that person transferring life into another person, then we, we have to question whether or not real discipleship actually took place. And that, that's why as we're discipling, one of the things that we always want to be doing is, is continuing to reinforce what's actually going on here in this relationship a transfer of life not just a transfer of information and so that's why paul silas and timothy they keep bringing the thessalonians back they keep wrapping this thing back around to some of the same things that they'd actually already taught them it was more important to reinforce the main things that encouraged transformation than it actually was to keep giving them more and more and more. And let me tell you something else you never heard before. And, and, and so now that I've mentioned that, and, and, and we've seen that approach uh, that, you know, of this reemphasizing or this reinforcing, uh, one of those things that they were reemphasizing and reinforcing is number two on your study sheet, and that's how to walk. How to walk. In order to, to see that from verse 1 of chapter 4, I want us to get a, a running start. Again, I've told you chapter 4 starts as a continuation of the end of chapter 3, but now I want you to actually, I've told you that, but I want you to see it with your own two eyes. And so let's start where we were a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians 3 in verse 12. And it says, 
And the, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so, like we saw a few weeks ago, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they desired that the Thessalonians increase and abound in love towards those inside the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. To this end, or verse 13 says, or, or for the purpose of establishing their hearts unblameable in holiness before God when he comes back. And, and so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, man, they're really pushing this thing of holiness. And, and then they continue the next chapter and say in verse 4 in chapter 1, Furthermore then, now listen, furthermore then, in other words, carrying on or moving forward with the same thought, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus." Paul, Silas, and Timothy, listen, here's what they're saying. They're saying, furthermore, or, or continuing with the thought of being blameless and holy before God, they were beseeching them and exhorting them. In, in other words, they were urging them and strongly and passionately encouraging them, not in their own name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, to walk how we taught you to walk when we were with you and and walk the way that you ought to walk you see it wasn't about a transfer of information or their concern would have been that the thessalonians talk how they taught them to talk <laughs> but because they understood what discipleship's about they were reminding them and reinforcing how they taught them not to talk but to walk but because, again, it's not about information, it's about transferring life, it's about transferring life and transforming lives. So, so they're re-emphasizing that the Thessalonians, that they walk how they taught them to walk, and how they ought to walk, and what happens when we walk how we ought to walk is that we please, is that, is that we please God. Verse 1 here says, they received of Paul, Silas, and Timothy how they ought to walk, and to please God. When we, when we walk how we ought to walk, we, we please God. That's how it works. That's why Colossians 1 and verse 10, it, it says that we're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And, and when we walk how we ought to walk, we please God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, you want to be blameless and holy before God when he returns? then walk how you ought to walk and please God. And they're saying, and we've already showed you how to do that. They, they continued to remind the Thessalonians of what they had taught them, and, and part of what they taught them is, is how to walk. They're saying, you already received how you ought to walk, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. They're, so they're telling them to be, to be found holy when the Lord returns. Walk like we taught you to walk and like you ought to walk because you know what we told you and you know the commandments 
that we gave you. And that brings us to a very logical question. How are believers in Jesus Christ to walk exactly? Now, now we don't have every word that Paul, Silas, and Timothy said to the Thessalonians as they evangelized them and they discipled them. We, we have some of what they said recorded for us, but there's a whole lot that they said that they're alluding to and that they're referring to in this verse that, that we don't have. We have some of it. So how were they to walk, and, and more importantly for us today, how are we to walk? And to answer that, what if we just went to the Bible and looked at the different ways that God has called us to walk? Because though we don't have every single detail of every word that was said to the Thessalonians as they taught them how to walk, you know what we do have? We have the completed canon of Scripture that God preserved for us that tells us everything that God wants us to know about walking. So what exactly does God have to say about how we're to walk? Well, if you recall, they, they have at least mentioned this thing of walking one time in, in, in Thessalonians. Do you remember what it was? It, it was in, in chapter 2 and verse 12 in, in its letter A on your study sheet. It's to, it's to walk worthy. It's to, to walk worthy. That's how we're to walk. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 it says that, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. One of the ways that Paul, Silas, and Timothy taught him to walk was to walk worthy of God. And listen, they even clarify what they meant up here by reminding us. And oh, by the way, he, he is the one who has called us unto his kingdom and glory. In other words, we're to walk worthy of the God that now that we're saved is going to take us to his kingdom to be with him, that guy. And we'll be with God as a part of his kingdom and, and be in the midst of his glory. We'll be that way for all of eternity. It's impossible to describe just how incredible that's going to be with him and to experience eternity with him in his kingdom. Eternity with the one that died for us. Eternity with the one that saved us. Eternity with the one who has allowed us to share in and be a part of his kingdom and glory. No more crying, no more pain. Just a perpetual state of euphoria. That God. And listen, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, because that's our future because we have that to look forward to, because of the grace that God has shown us in the midst of that, because of the hope we have in Christ, because we're a group of people that will spend eternity with God in his kingdom, walk like it. We need to act like it. We need to walk worthy of that. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, it also teaches us to walk worthy but, it, but instead of teaching us to walk worthy of God, it, it says at the second half of the verse to, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In our vocation, listen, it isn't what we do each week to get a paycheck to sustain life in this temporal reality that we're currently living in. He's talking about the vocation 
of the high calling that we have in Christ, that we've been called to, to bring Jesus glory and to invest in our eternal existence in heaven in the future. That's, that's our vocation. And, and that vocation in this chapter, interestingly enough, it actually goes on to explain it has to do with believers in Jesus Christ that comprise the church working together as the body of Christ, functioning together as the body of Christ, and accomplishing the same things as Christ did when he was here in his physical body. And you say, man, I wish God would just tell us what he means exactly as to how we're to walk worthy of the vocation of functioning together as the body of Christ to fulfill God's eternal purposes together. Well, we're in luck because the next verse actually tells us exactly what, what he means. Start, start again in, in Ephesians chapter 1. And he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. How do I do that? With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace how are we doing with that as the body of christ as we seek to minister the gospel to the world and edify each other and be perfected and and function together are we endeavoring or or making diligent effort and laboring and working to keep unity verse three are we endeavoring and working to keep peace? If we are, here's what it, what it looks like according to verse 2. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And, 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 that's, and if that's not the testimony of our life, and it's not how we're functioning together as the body of Christ, then we aren't walking worthy of the vocation for which we've been called. According to 1 Thessalonians 4.1, God wants to remind us of, of how we ought to walk and to please God so that when he returns, we're found unblameable and we're found holy and we ought to walk worthy. Another way that God teaches us that we're to walk so that we're found unblameable and holy when he returns is, is letter B, we're to walk by faith. We're to walk by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it, it, it says it in no uncertain terms. For we walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> That's how we ought to walk. By faith, not by sight. When, when we walk by sight, you know what we're doing? We're looking around at all of our circumstances. We're looking around at the problems in our lives. And we're trying to figure out the math as to how everything's going to work out and be okay. And how everything's going to still work out the way that we want it. And how everything's going to still work out in our favor. And God's saying, the way I want you to walk in your life is to not focus on what you can see. Like the circumstances of your life. But instead, walk by faith. Believing that God is able to change your circumstances if he wants. But more importantly, 
We walk by faith believing that even if he doesn't change our circumstances at all or he doesn't change them when we want him to, we walk by faith believing and trusting that he's working everything out together for our good and for his glory. And you can only do that when you walk by faith. You cannot do that by sight. Because what we see paints a different picture because what we see isn't the whole story. You see, the whole story hasn't even been written yet, has it? What if the circumstances that we wish we could change are what brings us into the most intimate relationship with the Lord that we've ever experienced and would have never experienced otherwise? What if the circumstances are ultimately used to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to change their eternal destiny? What if your circumstances are ultimately used to encourage other people that are going through similar things? You see, understanding those things takes walking by faith and not walking by sight to see it that way. Because like 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, how long do they last? They're they're temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's exactly why we've been called to walk by faith. Because if we walk by sight, we're only living for the here and now because what we see here is temporal. But when we walk by faith, and we look to and we, we focus on the things that we can't see, then we're living for the eternal and the things that will live past and live on past this short little temporal existence that we have. There, there, there was a couple that was, that was just at the Wedstrong Marriage Conference that we hosted, what was that, three, three weeks ago. He's a, he, a few, he, about three or four days ago, he's asleep in his apartment with his wife asleep next to him, someone randomly shoots a gun into the window, kills him on the spot. Absolutely horrific and disturbing. All he got was 27 years, and that was it. We were just with him a few weeks ago. We could have never predicted something so insane would have happened. No clue that anything like that could ever happen, but that's all the time he got, 27 years. You think he wishes he could come back here and watch a little more TV and play a little more golf? No, if he wished to come back and do anything, he'd wish he can come back and walk by faith more than he ever did and invest more into the things that he can't see. Because what we can't see with our physical eyes is eternal. But guess what? Now he can see it. He doesn't have to see it through the eyes of faith like we do. But you see, we've got to see it now the way we'll see it then. And the only way we can do that is through the eyes of faith. I I love how how Colossians 2.6 says it. It says the same thing that we've been looking at, but it's almost like God makes it a, a, a riddle for us. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So we have to ask ourselves, well then, hold on. How did we receive Jesus? 
We, we received him, of course, of course, through his, by his grace, but through what? <laughs> through faith. So if we're to walk the same way we received him, then how do we walk? We walk by faith, just like we've been seeing. God's teaching us that if, we're, if we received him by faith, then that's exactly how we're to continue walking now that we're saved. How silly would it be to think that we would continue different than the way that we began? You see, in, in order to be found blameless and holy when the Lord returns, we need to walk how we ought to walk, and we ought to walk by faith. So, so we've seen we ought to walk worthy, we ought to walk by faith, and another way we've been called to walk is letter C. We ought to walk in the light. Walk in the light. See, you know, I, I know you guys try to guess my blanks, and so I know some of you guys are scribbling right now going, doggone it, I knew he was going to say walk in the spirit, and he threw me off right there. You thought I was going to walk in the spirit, didn't you? You did. <laughs> I tricked you on purpose, and I said, walk in the light. Yeah, I know, I know you guys are trying to guess. But look at, look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 with me. It says, Then this is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We're to walk in the light. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says something very similar. He says, walk as children of light. So here's the deal. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're in the light. You see, listen, the command isn't to get in the light. The command is now that we're in the light, walk in it. So what's it mean if we're in the light and we walk in darkness? Well, if we're in the light and we're walking in darkness, then how'd it get dark? The way it happens is we have to willfully close our eyes and put on blinders. And when we do that, interestingly enough, we're actually doing something similar to what the Jewish people did that refused to believe in Jesus in Matthew 13, 15. Because, because here's how Jesus describes them. He says, for this people's heart has wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing. And here it is, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. They willfully closed their eyes to the light that was brought before them in the person of Jesus Christ. And you see, that's why Jesus said in John chapter 12 in verse 35, it's why he said, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children 
of light. God was bringing these unbelievers the light, and instead of believing in the light, they willfully closed their eyes and darkness came upon them. And even though Jesus ascended back into heaven, and he isn't physically here as the light anymore like he was in these two passages in Matthew and John that we just looked at, do you realize the same thing is going on today that went on when Jesus was physically here? Because John 1.9, it, it, it says that in John 1.9 that Jesus was, he, that, that Jesus, the end of the verse, lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man that has come into the world has been giving, given some measure of light to respond to. If you're in this service right now, you are being given a measure of light to respond to. And what most of the population has done with whatever light they've been given, though, is, is that instead of responding to, they, they, have, they have willfully closed their eyes. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who is willfully closing their eyes to the light of Jesus Christ instead of responding to the light as to be saved. It, there may be some like that, but, but what I'm trying to get us to see, it, but that there are certainly others here that just like unbelievers in Jesus' day, some of us have closed our eyes and put on blinders. Now, now you may be saved, and you may have responded to the light as to be saved. But now that you're saved, just like the unbelievers in Jesus' day, you've closed your eyes now and put on blinders. You're closing your own eyes willfully and putting on blinders. And though you're in the light, you're not walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. And you know what happens when you walk in darkness? That's right. You, you stumble, don't you? You ever, you ever do that in your house? Turn out the lights and start walking to bed and stub your toe on the couch. Stub your kick, Legos, right? Step on a Lego. Step, <laughs> it'll make you stumble and it'll make you want to say some things you probably shouldn't say. <laughs> the worst is when whatever you step on has wheels. That takes it to a whole other level when it, <laughs> when, when it has, has wheels. But, but we stumble in the darkness. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, it describes it like this. But the path of the just, it, it's as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness they know not at what they stumble. And if we as believers in Jesus Christ who, who are in the light, we willfully close our eyes and put on blinders and walk in darkness, then that's exactly what's going to happen to us. We're going to stumble, and we're not even really going to know exactly what caused it. We're going to be going through life, stumbling around, going through pain, making a mess of things, because that's what happens when you walk in the dark. And it's senseless because we have the ability to see because we're in the light now. We just have to walk in it. 
Have you ever seen how Jeremiah describes this thing of stumbling? In, in Jeremiah chapter 18 and in verse 15, he says, Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to, to vanity, stuff that doesn't matter, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths in a way not cast up. Are you hearing that? A way not cast up is essentially saying that the, the path leads you in a, in a way that's not exalted or lifted up. It's, it's not good. A not good path. And, and so he's saying God's people, they had forgotten God. It, or, or so they had chosen to walk in darkness even though they had the light. And it caused them to stumble from the ancient paths. You know what we have in the book that we hold in our hands, y'all? Ancient paths. These ancient words and these ancient book leads us down ancient paths. And these are ancient paths that we don't want to stumble from, y'all. Because you see, the ancient paths that are laid out in this book are paths that are well lit. These ancient paths have light. Because Psalm 119 and 105, it says... That thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Young people, do you hear that this morning? This ancient book with its ancient paths are paths that are well lit and have light so that you can walk and not stumble. God's word is illuminating the paths. The world is selling you a different path. And that path is extremely, extremely dark and I promise you, if you go down it, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. But if you stay on the ancient paths, walking according to the word of God, then you'll walk in the light and you won't stumble and you won't fall. But here's what tends to happen. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 is what tends to happen. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old or ancient paths where is the good way and, and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls and here it is but they said we will not walk therein oh man are you are you hearing that don't let that be you are you willing to walk in the ancient paths are you willing to walk in the old paths that are filled with light instead of the new paths that are filled with darkness? If we're going to be found blameless and holy at the coming of the Lord, we need to know how we ought to walk, and we ought to walk in the light. Another way we've been called to walk is we're to walk in good works. Letter D, we're to walk in good works. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse, beginning in verse 8, <clears throat> it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And most of you guys have that one memorized, and a lot of your kids have that one memorized. I, man, I, I hope they do. That's one of the best go-to salvation verses in the entire Bible. And we usually stop there, and of course we typically proceed to make the point that salvation is not 
by works. Works don't save you, and that would be a absolutely accurate assessment of the message that's being conveyed there. But though works don't save you, the next verse goes on to show us the place that good works do have in verse 10. Would you look at the following verse? I think we have a slide for that. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We should walk in those good works. So so check this out. We believers in Jesus Christ are his workmanship, and we were created in Christ, and we are his workmanship that, that, that were created in Christ because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We're new creatures because we were created in Christ and are therefore his workmanship. And all of us new creatures that were created in Christ, God previously ordained something that we should walk in good works. Now understand something. Contrary to popular opinion, he did not previously ordain who would and wouldn't be saved. Okay, that that was not previously ordained anywhere. Corey's going to be preaching on Wednesday night soon about the confusion behind this belief once he's done in Job. But what he actually did is he previously ordained or he ordered that believers in Jesus Christ should walk in good works. That, that's something that God ordained, and that's something that he ordered, that those b- that believe in him should walk in good works. You see, the problem is, is that we hear this idea about that something is ordained by God, and we immediately think, well, if it's ordained by God, then it absolutely has to happen. This verse tells us otherwise, which is why it says that God ordained that we should walk in good works. And this this, this shouldn't be that hard to comprehend, actually, because the word ordain in the Bible, it, it doesn't mean some sort of immutable decree, because as we take a look at our own lives, is there anything that you can think of that uh, God has ordained or ordered you to do or not to do that you've ever disobeyed him in? That's why we should walk in them, because we don't always do it, but he ordained that we would or ordered that we would. Here's how the Bible uses the word ordain as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 14. He says, even so the Lord hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay. In other words, he's saying that, that God ordained that those that preach and minister the gospel get paid for doing so. But then look what he says in the next verse. But I have used none of these things. So God ordained that he make his living from preaching the gospel, but the next verse says he didn't take any other money even though God ordained it. You see, we've got to watch what we read into the words that God uses. But, but here's what God is teaching us in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. God previously ordained or he ordered that those of us that are new creatures in Jesus Christ, that we would walk in good works. He, he ordained it previously because that was always the plan. You know what his plan always was from the beginning? It was always his plan to have a people that were called by his name, 
Christians. That, and that those people would walk in good works. Titus 2.14, it says it like this. He says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, of course, talking about Jesus, redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. What do they do? They're zealous of good works. I mean, why we got to be peculiar people, though, you know? I mean, <laughs> what? Why, why you got to be calling it? Why, why has he got to be calling us that? Doesn't that doesn't sound very flattering? But, but God sets aside Himself a peculiar people or a, a people that are unique, a people that are that are different from the rest of the people in the world, and we're peculiar and we're unique and we're different because of good works. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five and verse sixteen, he 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 says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your." good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Walking in good works is something peculiar. It's, it's something different in walking in those good works and putting them on display for the world to see. It glorifies our Father in heaven. As believers in Jesus Christ, that's how we ought to walk. We ought to walk in good works. That's how we'll be found blameless and holy at the coming of the Lord at his return. Like we saw in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 13, working our way through chapter 4 and verse 2. What's happening is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they reminded the Thessalonians of the commandments that they'd given them according to, according to verse 2. And they, they showed them how they ought to walk according to to verse 1, and, and to please God, so that when the Lord returns, they'd be found holy. And what we've been doing this morning is we've been asking ourselves, okay, then if we want to be found holy when the Lord returns, then how is it exactly that we're to walk? And, and so we've gone to a few of those places where God lays that out for us in no uncertain terms. And listen, there are others that we could cover it, it, again, we haven't even talked about walking in the Spirit, for goodness sakes. Like, I could have covered that one. That's obviously a, hu a huge one, but since I've touched on that a couple times recently, I, I spared you from that one. But, but, but as we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy reference that they, they taught the church of the Thessalonians how they ought to walk to be found holy at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I wanted to at least cover a few of the ways that, that the Bible teaches us how we ought to walk. Okay, so, but now that we know that, according to the end of, of verse 1 of chapter 4, you know what we're to do now that, we, now that we know how we ought to walk? We're to abound more and more. <laughs> That's part of why Paul keeps reminding them of some of the same things that they've covered. Because now that the Thessalonians had started to walk how they ought to walk, it was critical that they keep doing it more and more. And, and, and that they don't get content with where they're at, with where their spiritual walk was, and that they keep going. So, so let me ask you all this morning, how is, how is your walk? Are you walking worthy? Are you walking by faith? Are, are, you, are you walking in the light? 
Are you, are you walking in good works? Because listen, I think God is saying to us this morning the same thing that he said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Have you ever seen this? In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said unto him. And this is what I believe that God wants to say to us this morning. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk, walk before me or, or, or walk before my eyes. In other words, God's watching us walk. That's a sobering reality. He's watching us as we walk through this life. And I think what God wants to say to us is, is walk before me, remember I'm watching, and be perfect. Another way that we could say that is, and be holy. That's what these verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 have all been about. We're to walk the way we ought to walk so that when the Lord returns, we're found holy before him. Would you turn the corner today and walk the way that you ought to walk? Father, I, I, I pray, God, for this, for this group, this church that I love dearly. I pray for us that, that, you, would, that you would prick our hearts this morning, that you would help us to walk as we ought to walk, God. You're, you are going to come back, and when you do, we desire that we would be blameless and holy before you when that happens, God. And as we study your word this morning, what we understand and what we see is, is that has a lot to do with us walking as we ought to walk in order to accomplish those things. God, we may just be the group of people that's actually here for the rapture. God, if, if that does happen to be us, man, I pray that the way that we would be found is holy and blameless in your sight, and that if there's anything, God, that needs to be dealt with in people's hearts and lives today as to, as to where the walk is falling short, may today be the day they turn the corner. May we not just fill our heads with, that was good to know, God, but may we, may we do it. In your name we pray, amen.